0: This is a Podfire Production. This podcast may include explicit themes or swearing and may not be suitable for children. Hello guys, welcome to Awesome Humans. I'm your host Brett McCallum, and we're here to bring you the biggest, brightest humans that we can off this amazing planet of ours. Today's awesome human is Thomas Lilly, the owner and head coach at Ground Zero W on here on the Gold Coast, also in Brisbane. Thomas is one, if not the best powerlifting coach within Australia. I actually got introduced to him through my cousin and world champion, Tara Gripton, and she's the one that told me to go and see this bloke. Having worked with many high-level athletes over the years, Thomas is one of the most sought-after coaches and now mentors other coaches through his coach development programme. Thomas is also an established powerlifter himself, having completed since he was 18 years old. He's a lot older than that now. (laughs) He's completed at state, national and international levels multiple times and has several wins under his belt. has a degree in health science, majoring in nutrition and has years of experience working as a community nutritionist for the Queensland Government. For those who are in the stats, check this out. We'll check whether this is real or not. Best raw lifts, 320 kilo squat, 195 kilo bench press, 330 kilo deadlift. Best equipped lifts, 375 kg squat, 250 kg bench press and 350 kg deadlift. Wow. Welcome, buddy. How are ya? Yeah, very good. How are you? Are those stats right? No,
1: they're, they're more than that now. They're more than that? What do yeah. we got? How, Be- what's, what, what are we squatting? Uh, best raw squat is now 345. Boom. Uh, best raw bench is 200 and deadlift is 340. It's only a little bit more. But How was
0: that 200 more. bench press? That must have been pretty satisfying. Yeah, it was nice. Because when you hit the round numbers, isn't it? that's Yeah, yeah. it's it always bit. good. <laughs>
1: it's always good to hit those nice round numbers. And what's For
0: the difference sure. between a raw lift and an equipped
1: lift? So equipped powerlifting is where people wear special suits to help them lift more.
0: Oh, is that that wetsuits
1: uh, suit I see you in? Yeah, right, yeah, right yeah, 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 yeah. My nappy is what I call it. Yeah, <laughs> waddle around in this nappy thing. That's actually how powerlifting started. The, so raw lifting, like what? Tara, what in nappies? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like what Tara does, raw lifting, um, only came into Australia in 2010. So it's it's still oh well, relatively it's still pretty new, yeah, new, yeah.
0: And what? Um, so with the equipped lifts, well, what to do is it squash your body. Or something, or enable your muscles to work better. How's that work? Yeah, the
1: the easiest um, the easiest way to picture it is uh, imagine trying to squat down to tie your shoelace wearing the tightest possible pair of jeans imaginable. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like that. And in, in the context of actually lifting weights, it tries to put you in the worst position possible. And if you can fight that, you create torque in the suit and that. Helps you lift more. And that's how you can lift heavier. Yeah. Wow. Well, mate, this podcast is all about you. So, what I like to do
0: is let's get back to the very beginning. And what's your first ever memory? How far back
1: can you go? My first ever memory. Yeah. That's what I'm after. Like in life. In life. Yeah. Oh, geez. That's a very good question. Thank uh, you very much. That's what I'm here for. Um, I can remember. Uh, I lived, I was born in New Zealand and we lived for a short time in Sydney. Um, and I remember jumping on the bed with my sister. Uh, we shared a room and we we were bouncing on a on a bed. And that was in that Sydney home. So I would have been probably three years old, maybe four. That's pretty amazing. I mean, something what, like that.
0: What you'll find during this experience today is that all these memories will start coming back and you start going back. Some good, some bad, some ugly. People laugh, people cry, but it's pretty cool to actually then go back through your life and, and see how that uh, that all happened. But before we do that, one thing I always ask is tell me your best ever Thomas Lilly story my best ever Thomas Lily story. What's that what's that go-to story about you? <clears throat> Poor. Should have prepped you for
1: this? Shouldn't I? Yeah, no, I'm. I'm really. Always, on the spot. I always like to get you on the spot, though. Because I'm. I've been on heaps of podcasts that are all powerlifting, so yeah. they're all powerlifting things, and so you just have this bank of powerlifting stuff that I never really think about my life, to be honest. There we go. Well, that's what we're here for. Yeah, shit. My best. Am I allowed to swear? by the way? Yeah, you can do it every fucking like. I don't <laughs> <Right>. care. <laughs> uh, we make uh, the rules. Best ever Thomas Lily life story. Uh, it'll have to be something to do with, with travel. Um, probably the, the thing that stands out to me is kind of like a, a yeah, full on story. A, a couple of years ago, I was traveling through the Middle East, um, and, uh, Israel is a, a really tough place to get in and out of because mm-hmm. all of the Middle East hates Israel. Yeah, uh, and I had a pretty wild experience trying to get into Israel and then again uh, traveling through Lebanon after going to Israel. So when I was trying to get into Israel, you know, you walk up to like the the baggage check to check in your baggage yeah, and yeah. get on the flight. For this flight to Israel, all the other all the other um, thingies were open, and this one was like blocked off so you had to walk up to this little gate and a security guy in a a black suit would come up to you and ask you a bunch of questions in english or yeah in english but it turned into like a pretty full-on interrogation about like where have i been why am i going to israel why am i by myself who do i know in israel who am i going to talk i had to show him all these like bank transactions and conversations with people to prove like who I am and, and where I'm going and everything. And it wasn't enough. So then what happened is I was not allowed to take anything on the plane uh, to pack it all into my bags. Couldn't have carry on, could only have my passport with me. Um, he escorted me through the entire airport uh, we didn't go to the plane. We got through security, went downstairs into an interrogation room. Were you shitting yourself at this stage? No, nah, it's just a bit because I had nothing to hide, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. if you got nothing to hide, you got nothing to be scared of, right? It was just <laughs> full on. So went down to this interrogation room. They I had to strip down. They scanned everything through like bomb scanners and stuff like that. Um, I had to sit by myself in a separate room while they went through all my wallet. Uh, I was allowed to have my wallet, my phone with me. They went through my wallet, my phone, checked all that sort of stuff. Um, came back upstairs uh he's like do you do you need anything i'm like yeah i'm hungry i want a snickers so we went to this uh (laughs) went to a little stand got, got me a snickers then he took me onto the plane before it started boarding and sat me down in the back row um like a criminal like a criminal. So I was on the plane for about half an hour by myself, just sitting there being watched by someone, some, some stuff. And then through the flight, the wacky thing was the same sort of, it was a two hour flight. The same sort of five or six people got up to go to the toilet about six times. Like I kid you not the same couple of, every couple of minutes, someone was walking past and be like, you just went to the toilet. Why are you here again? And lo and behold, they're just staring at me the whole time. They were so, checking on you. Yeah. So the guy I stayed with in Israel, he's one of my lifters in Israel. Um, he looked after me while I was there. He's ex secret services in, in the Israeli military. It's like, oh, yeah, I get asked to do that job all the time. That's what they do. They sit on the planes and they're, they're told to watch suspects and just sit there and make sure they don't do anything dodgy. Wow. So that was part one. Part two was <laughs> uh, in Lebanon. So after you've been to Israel, they don't you don't get your passport stamped or anything because that's a, just a death sentence yeah. getting anywhere else in the Middle East. Um, but th- this guy in Lebanon, so what happened is I had to fly from uh, – where was I going? I was going yeah, from Israel to Lebanon, but the only way you can do it, it's, you know, across the border, but you can't do that. You can't fly from Israel to Lebanon. You have to fly from Israel over Lebanon to Turkey, change planes, and then come to come to <laughs> Lebanon. They don't do it direct. And I told the guy, I'm like, this is an international flight, and it's a 30-minute stopover. Can you check my bag all the way through? He's like, no, we don't do that to Lebanon. I'm like, so uh, I'm going to lose my bag? He's like, yep. You just lodge a baggage claim thing. As soon as you get off the plane, then get on the next flight. Okay. So I had to go there and leave my bag behind. Um, I was only in Lebanon for a few days and then I was coming home. So, uh, I just left my bag, bought some new clothes in Lebanon and then uh, thought I'd go to the airport a couple of hours early on the way home. So I did that to get my bag was probably the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. So go to the desk. Hey, I'm, I'm here to pick up my bag. And they're like, Oh, this is your bag. Okay. It's like, here's a slip. You need to go through that door. So went through this door, went through about three sh- security checkpoints, all these Lebanese military guys, AK-47s, like, oh, this is your bag. You have to go to security. Had to go up like through all these levels, heaps of military guys. They're all just glaring at you. Go to the sky behind this massive desk. He looks at it. He's like, half Huff. signs it, go back down, go to get my bag, waiting for like an hour. Then two guys come. They've both got keys like out of Harry Potter or something. They take me through this room. My bag is in a cage (laughs) in the back of this room. They both stick in keys and unlock it to take out my bag. Then they search through the whole thing. It's just crazy. Wow. Yeah, so that's that's probably the wildest story I have. <laughs> <laughs> and you go home with your bag, everything okay? Yeah, yeah. So that was, like, by the end of that, I was pretty, you know, pretty gropable. Yeah. I went to check in for my flight, and they're like, oh, we've overbooked the flight, we can't get you on. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I, I'm the the calmest, <laughs> nicest person you'll ever meet. I'm like, I don't think you understand. I'm going home tonight. <laughs> so I, st- I stood my ground, and I got on the plane, but, um Yeah. Yeah, I got um, unscathed eventually. And
0: do you think it's because, obviously, you're a big unit? Do you think it um, it was because of what you look like or do you think it was more nah. along the lines of just because you're someone travelling to Israel? Yes, yeah,
1: single male in in my age group yeah. is, is the first red flag. The other big red flag is I travel weird, right? So I'll have a competition at uh, this is why I travel so much. I'll go to world championships all over the place Yeah, and when I do I try and book a couple of weeks either side to see the world, you know? Um, and so I flew into the Middle East then I flew out of the Middle East to Europe to two random places for comps and then back to the Middle East. So it looked really weird that I'd, oh, okay. I'd flown to Jordan and then flown to like Hungary and then gone to, I don't know, Slovakia or something like that and then back to Hungary. Then back to – it just looked weird. <laughs> the travel plans are really odd. They're like, why would you do that? And uh, as well, I'll go to a place for like two days. yeah, yeah. I was in Israel for two days. I was in uh, Lebanon for three days. And they're like, why would you go there and only stay there two days? Tourism. They just don't don't buy it. it. yeah Wow. Okay, then <laughs> let's get back to you.
0: So, you were born in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Where in New Zealand? Uh, Christchurch. And
1: how long did you live there for? Uh, till I was 13. In New Zealand? Or 14, yeah. But when you were in Australia, when you were two or three? <laughs> Yeah, so my, my parents were missionaries. They moved to New Zealand. I myself and my sister was born. We went back to Australia for about six months, and back to New Zealand.
0: Okay, and missionaries. What's a missionary? Like planting churches. Oh, okay. Churchy kind of people. Churchy kind of people. Happy clappers type. It's <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and did you um, tell you got brought up in a religious home? Very religious. Yeah. Are you still religious now? No. No, I've gone away from it. Did you... How old were you when you went away from it? Uh, Probably
1: 24 or 25, something like that. Any particular reason? I think I just slowly faded away from it a, a, a bit. Um... And uh, like I, I have a science degree, and little things were sort of talking to me. I read some books and just got a bit wiser about it all. And mm-hmm. um, I'm not one of these people that walked away with with bad feelings towards yep. religion. I, I have a lot of uh, uh, a lot of gratefulness for the kind of attributes that I've gotten yep. out of growing in a religious home and being around religion. I, I'm very grateful for what I've had. I think there's some negative stuff with it as well, but um, there's yeah, good and bad and everything. Yeah, exactly, mm. exactly.
0: So uh, schools, and if you were sort of travelling around. Did you were you at one school, or did you go when you first sort of started down primary school? Where where was your first
1: school? Yeah, in, in, in Christchurch. Yep. Um, I went to a very very like small Christian school. Think mm-hmm. like less than a hundred people for the entire primary school. Oh wow. Um, for a couple of years, and then it was just public schools all the way up. So right. I had um, I had one primary school to the rest uh, to to the end, and then uh, one high school until I moved to Australia, and one high school here. All just state schools. Yeah.
0: And what did you, our siblings? Yeah, two, two older
1: brothers and one younger sister. Okay, and um, so they all went to the same schools and stuff as well? Uh, no, 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 no. We we all went to different schools for the most part. Okay. Yeah, a little bit of crossover here and there. Yeah. Um, but I moved over here uh, and was by myself over here with my father for, for most of the time. Okay. One of my brothers came and went a couple of times. Uh, and since then, the two older brothers have moved here. And your sister's still in New Zealand? She's still in New Zealand, yeah. So do you class yourself as a Kiwi or as an Aussie? Uh, well, my mum's Lebanese, so from a cultural perspective, <laughs> I, I identify as Lebanese. Oh, do you really? Uh, I, I would say that I'm Lebanese first, but if if it's between Australia and New Zealand, it's Australian. Yeah. Why is that? Because your mum's Lebanese? Yeah, yeah. I Just uh, I really bode well with that culture. I, yeah. I, I feel like a lot of my values and a lot of my uh, um, beliefs kind of line up with the cultural practices that my Lebanese side of the family has. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just feel connected to that side of culture. I think culture is such a funny thing. I, I really think we get to decide what our culture is. Oh, 100%. Like, I agree. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really
0: feel that, you know? That's awesome. So, when you're at school, you're in primary school, you're good, bad, ugly, good student,
1: naughty. Uh, so as a youngster, I, um, uh, very, uh, uh, intelligent, but, uh, very ADHD. Okay. Um, so problem child that got really good grades.
0: Okay. So you didn't have to study that much because you just. we're good at it, yeah. But then you sort of got yourself in a bit of a bit of bother.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much.
0: And were you an athlete back then?
1: No, 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 no. I was a really, really obese kid. Oh, were you fat kid? <laughs> fat kid did all the Did you get bullied way. much? A lot, yeah. And what did you do about that at the time? <laughs> Take it. <laughs> yeah, you just copped on the chin. <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I'm i not a fighter. I never fought back.
0: What did um, mm. What did mum and
1: dad think of that? I don't think they were around it very much. You know, Okay, um, so they didn't really know that you were. Yeah. Pushed around a bit. Yeah. Like, m- m- mum was single mum. So, yeah. w- we lived with mum. Um, four kids and she, she worked really fucking hard. So um, What'd she do? She, at the time, was working for, like, Flight Centre. Okay. Uh, and since then, she's worked her way up. Now, she actually manages United Airlines for the Southern Hemisphere. So, she's... <laughs> she's,
0: she's, she's done all right. Yeah. She's a bit, well, of, that, a, mum. bit of an idol Assault. for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, she, she was working her ass off. We, we didn't actually see a great deal of mum. Like, okay. Uh, so... Yeah, it was kind of swept under the rug, and uh, I learned from a very young age, unfortunately, to just bury everything anyway. So, uh, and did that come up in later life? Big time. Yeah, yeah it
0: always does <laughs> for sure. You, you can only push it down so far till it starts coming back up, isn't it? That's right. <laughs> so then you go into high school, and uh, same thing. You're still a fat kid, and still uh,
1: still getting pushed around a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so in New Zealand. Yeah. When I moved here, it, it changed a little bit. I was still still the fat kid when I uh, moved here, but I. So Shortly after I moved here, that, that was kind of my cue to be like, okay, well, I don't want to be fat anymore. And that's that's really when I found lifting weights. So how old were you then? Uh, 14. 14. 14. I got my first set of weights, yeah. And what did you, was there a reason you moved here? Uh, just the same thing I was saying before, a bit of a problem child. Mm-hmm. Uh, mom, so you were asked to? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, mom, Can't mom, live with your father. <laughs> Mum gave me the option and I graciously accepted. Let's put it that way.
0: It's funny now, though, seriously, when you look back on your life and you look back as that 14-year-old kid, and you know you're an asshole at the time. Yeah. And, and the thing is, you sit there going, but you were never wrong because 14-year-old kids are never wrong. <laughs> that's right. And no, mum, that's not the way it is. And you, know, you sit back there and go, actually, yeah, fuck, I probably should have told <laughs> yeah, you that would be different. Exactly. The, the joy of hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> so you moved to Australia. Where would you go to? Brisbane. I've been in Brisbane the whole time, yeah. Okay, so you come to Brisbane and then you sort of think, mm, maybe i got to do something about this. What's good to go to up there? Uh, Rochdale State High. Is that where you stayed the whole time? Yep.
1: So did you hook up with some pretty good mates up there? Uh, I, I didn't make friends. Basically, until I was 25 and went through the psychology process of learning how to make friends. So I had acquaintances, I had buddies, you know, yep. but I, I, I've been notoriously poor for learning how to connect with people my whole life. So, which is uh, really interesting because now you're an international coach.
0: Because it, it, it's my job. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny, isn't it? Like, but, but maybe that's the reason you went into that is because that's um, what you couldn't do or didn't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. So at school, you're obviously pretty smart. Um, well, did you always want to be something? Was there anything you wanted to be?
1: I had my heart set and my mindset from probably age 10 up until just before I graduated high school on some form of aeronautical engineering. Okay. Uh, I really like planes. I really like engineering and physics. Yep. Um, I thought for sure that was what I was going to do. I went to an engineering opening day, uh, open day at university with my physics class and thought this would be the absolute pits. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Christ for the open day, hey? <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So then when it came to uni applications, I applied for pharmacy, um, uh, dietetics as a second choice and nutrition as a third choice. Um, And I got offered pharmacy and took nutrition. I took my third choice. Why is that? Don't know. Just something um, to an 18-year-old yeah, it I, does. I guess so. I, yeah, I, I got off at pharmacy. I'm like, do I really want to do this? Nah.
0: It's funny because my daughter's going through that exact same process now. My oldest, she's um, she's just been accepted at Bond, and it's just been really interesting watching this experience go from she wanted to be a paramedic, then a PE teacher, then a, a forensic scientist, then this, then that, and now she's doing project management. But it, it all comes down to like you're 18, or 17 years old, you've got no fucking idea what you yeah, want to do. Exactly. And you need to make this life-changing decision. Hmm. And um, I think there was some ridiculous stat that was out the other day that all these people that do sort of aeronautical science or they do philosophy and all this are now really good house cleaners. They're really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They all run their own little businesses. They own the corner shop, but they've actually got these
1: degrees coming out their ass yeah. that, um, that they never use. Yeah, I think one thing where, where the university system failed me was telling me what I would actually be doing with my degree after I, the, yeah I, I didn't know what being a nutritionist entailed until my final year really? uh, I, I didn't know what the job was i was just like i like food i like science <laughs> let's do both of them <laughs> um and it, so post university i sat on uh, what's called the cu- curriculum advisory panel so yeah. we just uh, i guess as uh, a student or post student i was yeah a post student who had worked in the industry yeah um so uh, just putting input into how the how the curriculum should go and all the implications of it, and it's one thing I brought up all the time. I'm like, we've got you know close to ten thousand students a year graduating with some form of nutrition degree in Queensland government. There are about. 14 jobs available, uh, for, sorry, 14 <laughs> positions, not 14 jobs available, 14, 14 posi- positions for 10,000. Yeah. yeah Once uh, 10,000 nationwide, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah. You, you get the, the picture, but but the stats 1, are 14, it's like, wow. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such an interesting system that, uh, Maybe that was my fault. I never went to open days and orientations and things like that. Yeah. I, n- I never got really involved. Um, I just feel like there should have been some sort of package that's sent to students that says, hey, this is the degree. This is the options for careers post the degree.
0: Um, hundred uh, percent, And And it's really good because um, uh, we, we found a lot of the other universities, if you come to uni, you just go, and what we found with Bond was they actually said, if you do this, this, and this, you can earn that much money in that job, in that role. And I'm sitting there going, that's what you want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like the guy actually sat down with us to my daughter and said, What do you want to do? And she goes, I don't know. And he said, Well, if you do this, you can do that, make that much money. Or if you do this, you do that, make that much money. She's going, Let's do that. That's a really mm. good idea. And I think there's not enough of that. I've, I've got this philosophy that all uni should, the first year of university should be the same for everyone. Then at the end of that first year, you then decide what you want to do because that gets you into the uni culture. It gets you into uh, all the bits and pieces you want to know. But then at the same time, you get a real world experience about what am I going to do when I finish?
1: Yeah. Do, do you think that it should even be as part of uni or should that be earlier? Should that should be, be the should last be year of high school? 100%. So I think in the US, they call
0: it. Um, Oh, shit, don't worry. So the level below between high school and like junior college or junior whatever. Junior college or whatever it's called. I think it's a great idea. Mm. And and the fact that – and everyone should have to do it. Either that or put them in the army for a year, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> at least they can learn some yeah. life skills. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so you're 18 years old. You're going to university. You started picking up some weights at 14.
1: Mm-hmm. And what did you decide at fourteen? Oh, actually, I quite like that. Or how'd that work? Yeah, yeah. So at the same time, I was competing in uh, freestyle BMX. So that w- that's that's my. So that f- was a sport that <laughs> you were playing in. That's my that's my first and, and main love sport. Uh, BMX, in, including right now, like really, I like BMX, more than powerlifting. Don't tell all the powerlifters that. Yeah, don't, uh, yeah. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll scrub that bit. Yeah, that's I- <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that's that's my. So m- BMX is the passion. Yes. Yeah, so, Why? I don't know. It, it was it was my passion before I found lifting weights. And is it because you're on your own? Is it because it's a solo man sport and you're a solo I, man? I think so. And, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's why I love powerlifting so much as well. There's a, there's a lot of, um, like, we always make the comment in our gym and in in the community of powerlifting in general that powerlifting is a team sport despite it being an individual pursuit. Uh-huh. Um Uh, But, uh, you know, even it being a team sport. uh, Still on you. uh, Exactly. There's there's a a huge degree of intrinsic drive and motivation required, um, and I love that. So when did you get your first BMX? Uh,
0: When I was maybe 12. Yeah? So I was in New Zealand? Yes. And did you think straight away actually I could compete in this?
1: No, no. we just
0: cruising around. The, pretty pretty
1: much. much, yeah. And then you come out here to Australia, and then did you start competing? Not straight away. No, I, I rode for a couple of years, and then the, there were local comps around, and I was like, "Fuck yeah, I can, I can jump in this," um, and I got pretty good. Uh, I. I Came off and, and bashed my head up pretty bad and end up in an emergency room in my first or second year of uni and sort of decided, well, you know, even if I'm at the top, similar to powerlifting, the likelihood of making a career out of this is next to none. Yeah. Is, it is it worth killing myself? No. But So you still ride uh, now? Oh, not really. Once a year, riding a bike at 118 kilos versus 80 kilos is very, very different. (laughs) That's a bigger bike. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So during this time though, so at 14 you start lifting weights, you're riding riding your pushy.
1: Are you Mm. going to the gym or are you just doing shit at home? No so I I joined a gym when I was 15. Okay. Um so I, I we had a set of of weights at home and I, I played with that for a yeah, a year or two basically until I was old enough to be allowed to join the gym. Um join the gym and yeah, started started going there. I really wanted to do bodybuilding. I didn't know what powerlifting was at the stage. Mm-hmm. Um built all my bodybuilding stuff around the big three lifts that are in powerlifting anyway. Um I wanted to do uh Olympic weightlifting. Okay. Um but accessibility was was tough back then it would have been like 2005 or something. There was one club which was half an hour away and cost 300 bucks a month. So A, my dad couldn't get me there on time because it was straight after school and he was working and B, we couldn't afford it anyway. So um, that went out the window. Then a a strongman comp came up and I registered for that, but my registration got knocked back. I was too late. Mm -hmm. And on the same date was a powerlifting comp. So I did that and got stuck in it. (laughs) It's that one comp and you were done. That's right.
0: (laughs) So what's
1: the difference for people that don't know between strongman and powerlifting. Strongman's the one you see on TV where the guys are hugging big rocks and putting logs over their heads and uh, pulling trucks and, and doing all those various implements. Powerlifting is just squat, bench, press, deadlift. So
0: it's the three movements. The three
1: movements, yeah. That are all very similar, surprisingly. Yes. <laughs> and
0: it's, I find it really interesting because um, obviously we met when I brought my daughter up and, and we started doing some lifting and stuff. And I just found it amazing at the different way that and how technical this, this whole piece is Mm. and I think it's um, it's, it's really interesting that you've gone I'm oh, not doing that, I'm going to do that one. Were you really technical back then as well? Like when you were doing, so when you were younger, before you learned all the moves and stuff, and when you did this first comp, was it something that you thought, oh wow, or you were just
1: saying, that's heavy, I can lift it? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think in general, the, the reason why I've been become good at this is not anything to do with lifting, because I don't have a degree in human movement, I don't mm-hmm. I don't have a certificate three and four in f- fucking personal training, I don't have anything to do with uh, lifting weights or anything like that, I'm just Good at solving puzzles. Okay, uh, and so I just see. Hum- so it's scientific to you. Yeah, yeah, I just see human movement as a puzzle that needs solving. Um, that's a pretty cool uh, way to look at it. Makes it really easy, uh, because like h- how we approach technique, like what we did to you, that's that's what people pay me thousands, and thousands of dollars to learn in that coach development system. Mm. Right? It's a, it's a, it's a unique system that's been really, really. Uh, uh, Taken a really long time to develop, really, really well thought out. Uh, that's been packaged in a way that I can use it to teach you, or I can use it to teach the best powerlifter in the world. It, yeah. it, it doesn't. It doesn't make a difference. Why? Because you've got a shoulder, they've got a shoulder. You've got yeah. a hip, they've got a hip. They're doing a squat, you're doing a squat. We're all doing the same thing. We're all built the same way, despite us being different shapes and sizes and having different moving things. If we can look at it like that, solving the puzzle backwards becomes really easy
0: because the hinge still works the same way. Yeah, exactly. It may not be as, as lower as creaky, but it still works the same way. <laughs> so uh, at the age of 25, what what was the moment that made you feel actually I need to get some help? What what was the the thing that took you on your journey of?
1: Self-discovery, let's call it that. Yeah, I I think uh, besides just general maturity and a little bit more life experience with travel and things like that, uh, I got married very early. I was Mm. married when I was 21. Um, And in 2014, where I would have been 25, uh, we split up for a short while. Okay. Um, And that kind of opened up my eyes into... I guess the implications of the dogma around religious belief mm-hmm. um, the, was your wife religious? Yes, we okay. we, we were, that's how we met. We met in the church. Okay. Um, so uh, you know things little things and I I don't want to go too too uh, deep down you this go rabbit hole as deep power. as you want um, to. You. But little things like, you know, feeling like the support that I got that actually helped me was from my non-Christian friends and my Christian friends kind of had the opposite. Um, okay. And that's not a reflection of Christ Christianity, because I, I think Christianity is good at tr- teaching people not to judge. I think people are inherently bad at judging. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And when you're taught not to do something, uh, you know, really hard your whole life, you're probably going to rebel a little bit. And I think that's a, that's a good euphemism for what happens in Christianity or any, any sort of dogmatic, uh, uh belief system.
0: No, of course. And so at 25, you've, you've got You've seen the right people. You've got, let's call it, you got yourself better
1: and you've also moved on. I when? think, I, I, I would probably say no. I would say that um, it started the process. It started the, and how, the long process? Yeah, I, th- I think it started the process. The process got put on hold when things just kind of went back to normal for a little while. Yeah. And then in 2018, I got divorced and actually started seeing a professional psychologist and that's what really transformed me into this person. Yeah. Like, pre that, it, it, this conversation wouldn't happen. Like yeah. me being able to be introspective and think about life and think about feelings, that didn't exist as just a robot.
0: It's interesting because in 2018 is when my life was saved as well. I saw a professional and yeah. uh, it's fucking unbelievable. <laughs> it's like, and the thing is, I, I remember the first day I walked into my psychologist and I'm sat there and he just started talking to me and I'm sitting there, well, aren't you supposed to fix things? <laughs> aren't you supposed to like ask questions or something? wasn't like that at all. It was completely opposite of what I always thought that it would be like going to see a professional yeah, and he changed my life I, I do a, a podcast with him he's an absolute legend of a bloke but the thing is it's um, not what I expected but had Longer-lasting um, benefits than I would ever, ever have expected. It's uh, it's pretty amazing when you actually see the right people. And this is where people need to talk more about this shit. And this is where people need to actually get help if you need help. Don't like I'm sitting opposite you as a massive human being sitting there proud that you've seen a psychologist. And get your head fucked in red. Like it, that's awesome. Mm. Yeah. And the fact is that people like us need to tell people
1: it's okay to be not okay. Go and get some help. For sure. I, I think that. The hard thing is, is like, and you would have been there. I was there when I when I went as well. We went too late. Yeah, we were probably so aware that we needed to do 10 something. Ten years earlier would have yeah, been good. Exactly. <laughs> so we go too late, and then we have this like life changing experience, which I explain to other people as like. If you go and see someone, think of it less that that you have a problem that you're trying to solve. Think of it more as like this is now a huge learning experience. You're going to learn how your brain works, how your emotions and feelings work, how you connect with other people. Learning how to connect with other people is a skill that... its bounds are endless, right? Like for me from a business perspective, it has completely transformed my business. Yeah. yeah. From a a relationship standpoint, from a friendship standpoint, I have friends. (laughs) I I can say I have friends. My friends before that were buddies. Yeah. And my friends before that were like, hey, let's grab a feed. Now I have friends who I can be like, man, I'm I'm not well, you know, and and I think it's fucking fantastic.
0: It is. And and you couldn't say that any better. I, I think it's one of those things that it's when you realise, you think, fuck, imagine 10 years. I've, that 10 years, I could have also done all that. But we don't look that way. We look forward. And another thing we're taught. But the thing is, we need we need to look forward, but at the same time, more people need to talk about this shit. And it's okay to talk about it. Like, you work in one of those environments where some of the biggest human beings I've ever seen in my life are in there. <laughs> I don't have feelings. But fuck, every single one of them does. Yeah. yeah. And I guarantee that when these guys and all these people start talking about this shit, the world's going to be a much better place. For sure. For sure. Okay, so we're at sort of 25-ish. What are you working
1: as at the time? Uh, Around that time, so I I opened my gym when I was 23. So So what did you do before that, before uh, you opened the gym? I was working for the government as a nutritionist. And what's that mean? Uh, So I was a community nutritionist, which is basically taking the broader uh, general uh, advocation policies, things like that, and applying it to specific at-risk communities. Okay. Uh, so for me, it was working with uh, up in Logan, the uh, Pacific Islander peoples, mm-hmm. um, primarily Samoans back then was where I was doing my research. Um, I ended that, I, I uh, opened the gym. And then at 25, I've, I'd actually taken a contract with the government again. So I was doing research in the mornings and then uh, running the gym in the afternoon. And what was
0: the gym called back then?
1: PTC Gold Coast. PTC. Yeah. What PTC stand for? Performance Training Center. So it's actually a, a chain or a family of gyms. It's not a franchise per se, but it's a, a shared name across. Uh, at, at one time, there was like 14 or 15. Most of us have branched off and just done Did our own thing because we've created our own identity and, and wanted to you know, have that reflected. Um, so yeah, 25 is working for the government again uh, on research programs with um, uh, with the Pacific Islanders. So we got a couple of publications out of that, which was really cool, um, and running the gym. And the afternoons, that-
0: and and that's powerlifting gyms. Yes. When did you realise that you were a good powerlifting coach? Oh,
1: probably around that time. Around that time is when I became flavour of the month. Okay. So, so I don't. What do you think, mean by that? Uh, everyone was. Like, oh, get coached by Tom Seven. That's my Instagram name. Um, everyone was like, get coached by this guy. Um, so, my. Uh, and why is that?
0: Is that because you're getting
1: results? Getting results, working with big name lifters and um, kind of pioneering the online coaching space in Australia. Okay. There weren't a great deal of people doing it um, and in New Zealand as well. Um, so, there weren't, weren't a great deal of people doing it and it just kind of grew exponentially. Um, and so, that's why I left that government contract. I had. Way too much work, yeah. Um, and it, it, per hour, worked out better to be doing online. To coaching. Do your own thing, yeah. And when you say online coaching, do you do you create a program, or are you actually like skyping these people directly, or what are you doing there? All of it. So the, where where my coaching shines and and why I've kind of uh, you know uh, claimed the ranks as a coach is because of the the technicality of it all. So people are sending videos and getting very very um, in depth technical feedback, and the art of doing that is you know how do you take words and get the person on the other end to Turn it into action. Yeah. There's a lot of skill in in, uh, in creating a language that anyone can understand, um, and so uh, yeah, that's that's why I believe that grew so fast and so uh, well back then.
0: And what brand was that under then? Was that still PTC or was
1: yeah, that you? No, no, no. So th- th- and that that was a big motivation for me leaving the PTC name mm-hmm. is because it became less about like. Uh, you know, a local PTC Gold Coast, and more like, how do my people in New Zealand, the UK, Israel, how do they represent me if they're representing some random gym on the Gold Coast? Yeah. Um, so that's why I sort of branched off and created my own brand. Which
0: is zero W. Yeah, zero weakness. Yeah. And why zero weakness? <laughs> Honestly, it sounded
1: cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Love the thought that's got into that. Yeah. yeah. Did
1: you come up with that or someone um, sort of mentioned it? And you're, yeah, cool, let's do that. No, like it was literally, I need a new name for a brand. Uh, I kind of like the word zero. How can I play on words? I'll add a W to the answer so zero. That's like, you don't say this, zero W, you just say zero. Zero, sorry. Um, and I'll, no, no, I'll, no, I'll no that's that okay. That um, and I was like, okay, weakness, zero. Weak. Yeah, yeah, that'll do. That, legit, that's that'll how sell. I have Yeah, And well, that's why all good brands are done. Yeah. Seriously. I think um, at the time I was talking to someone uh, who had a, a pretty pretty popular uh, supplement um, chain uh, on the Gold Coast and uh, he was like when you when it comes to brands and when it comes to colors and stuff do stuff that you, you're not too emotionally attached to so if you ever have to sell or if you ever have to you know make a hard decision the emotions removed from it Well I don't necessarily agree with that uh, that was part of the motivation of like just pick something and go with it
0: Yeah. Okay. So then you opened your zero gym on the Gold Coast? Mm-hmm. Or Brisbane first?
1: No, so it was just a rebrand, so I already had the gym. Oh okay. Uh, Did like, you have the Brisbane one as well? No, no, no. Brisbane was this year. Okay. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And what's the what's the plan for that? Are we going more? Yeah, well, I mean, the plan was to never have a second gym. I've been saying for years, gym businesses are dumb, and um, you know, online coaching is where it's at. And then I found myself opening a second one. Now I've got plans for a third one. So, (laughs) Um, well, two's dumb, three's good. uh, Yeah. At at this stage, the third one's going to be it. But I said that when I when the second one came along. So who knows? Oh, you just keep rolling with the punches. Yeah, that's that's all about. For me, the big focus is the coach development system. uh, In the process of becoming an RTO, so we can legitimise this thing. Yep. Um, um, uh, it's one thing that I feel very strongly and passionately about, um, especially in the context of powerlifting, because powerlifting is such a no-name, you know, off to the side sport that gets yeah. no attention. And so, when it comes to education around, uh, you know, developing good coaches and good coaching practices, nothing exists. Um, or Which very- is
0: sad, really, because like, um, obviously I'm gonna I'm gonna mention Tara, who's yeah, the sure. world champion. Mm. Like, we got world champion athletes, Australian world champion athletes that stand on the podium. Him in first place, no one knows about it. Yeah. That's atrocious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to, uh, we need to sort of wave the flag a lot more, I think, mm. in that space. So you're going to now move, or obviously you've moved into coach, train the trainer, let's mm-hmm. call it that, and what do they get out of it? so they get accreditation in your system and then is that for them to open gyms or is that for them to coach powerlifters or become powerlifters what's, what's sort of the aim of that
1: yeah it's it's really um, you know born of selling my system like what, what's the system that's gotten me the success as, as a coach like yeah. um, zero zero has some pretty big accolades when it comes to the kind of people that we've coached behind it um, and there's, there's value in the system that, that I've created so it's it's more about like creating better coaching businesses for people by providing them with a tangible system that's going to create cons- consistent outcomes for them, whether that means they open a gym, whether that means they focus on online coaching, whether that means they just educate themselves as a lifter, kind of applies to all of that. But um, ultimately, I would like to have a certification. Um, and then from a business perspective, it would make a great deal of sense to have an insurance company that, you know, insures coaches as well, because 100%. insurance in the PT world is a fucking nightmare.
0: Yeah, yeah agree. And the, the fact that people can go out on the weekend and become a PT and then on Monday they're training people in the park scares the shit out of me. Yeah. So if they're not trained by professionals, then uh, that's something that's, uh, that needs to be looked at as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, that's a big part of the motivation. My, my course uh, runs over a year. Yep. It's, a, it's a year-long enterprise. So um, you, you, if I could fast-track it and do it in a week intensive, you know, but the – you're gonna take out the bits that your brain's like, oh, this really sticks with me. If you yeah. do it that quick, it doesn't give you time to absorb and practice, and um, you know, uh, really transform the way you do things. So, I'd prefer to do it drip fed in and slower, so people can really like uh, take this system and run with it.
0: So, if I walked up to you in the street or met you at a networking event and said, "What do you do? What do you do?" i don't know, be
1: a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your job? <laughs> Yeah, I I I still pretty much identify with just coach. Tell <laughs> hey, you're a coach. Just just generic coach. Just coach. I I, I coach big men to lift
0: and women <laughs> yeah. to lift uh, lift heavy things. Yeah, pretty much. What um what's the <laughs> aim for you from a lifting point of view? Are you still lifting
1: competitively? Yeah, so uh, I'm preparing for a competition in five weeks. Uh, I'm back in the equipment. So I've only done two equipped comps. So this will be my third. Mm-hmm. Um. I've had several surgeries on my hips, so I've had a lot of problems in the last couple of years dealing with this, and the, the equip seems to be helping a little bit. So uh, I've got some numbers in mind for this equip comp, and then, yeah, just uh, uh, training's like brushing my teeth to me. I, I'm always going to be doing it to some degree, and um, as long as I'm doing it, my, my goal is to be stronger. Yeah. Um, I have a, a real love for it. I really want to be as good as I can be. Um. But in terms of, like, a really competitive fire, uh, I don't really possess that. Have uh, you ever? I don't know. I don't think I have. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think it's a really good thing to have. I don't think you need to be successful with it. I think it, it probably is in there, but I. Uh, maybe I'm too humble or modest to admit it's in there. I, I really don't know.
0: Do you train your or coach your
1: athlete to have it? Uh... I wouldn't say so, no. I, I would say it's far more a case of identifying uh, what their what their intrinsic motivation is and, and learning to speak to that. Um, otherwise, you run the risk of, of coaching some, someone into a mindset that, that doesn't bode well with them.
0: And that's uh, the thing. Everyone's different, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Like? yeah. And the, the sport is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yeah, like it, We can't just go for hard for a year and expect you to be the best. Mm-hmm. It's about laying foundations over years and years and years and years. And, years, and sustainability is, is really important. And
0: because you just do, that sounds really bad, but because you just do the three movements, does that mean that more injuries or less injuries happen? Then what? So, for instance, if I'm in the gym and I'm doing a full body workout, let's call Mm -hmm. it that, compared to the three lifts that that, um, you guys do, um, because you're moving that same muscle all the time is that
1: good or bad for you no no, no you're 100 percent right if we just did the three lifts yeah that would become problematic over time but we don't that's not how we train mm-hmm. uh you know powerlifting training should be i believe should be very general most of the time yep very specific the closer we get to a comp okay yeah
0: so it's more that whole body thing and then when you're getting closer you're sort of leaning into that comp and getting
1: ready for that for sure we, it's, it's periodization just like any other sport has
0: so a few things I like to always wrap up. Oh, actually, your podcast. Tell me about your podcast. You're also
1: part of the podcast planet now. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, I run a podcast called Peak Speak with my friend John Sheridan in Canberra. It's just powerlifting podcast. Um, we recorded our ninety eighth episode on uh, on Saturday. So congratulations. We're getting close to hundred now. Um, Peak Speak. Yeah. And was
0: that out on all of the uh, different platforms?
1: Yeah, yeah. You'll find if you search Peak Speak, it'll come up on everything.
0: And what do you do? on that. Do you just
1: talk about powerlifting? Do you interview people? Yeah, all of the above. I mean, it's very powerlifting centric. So okay. all, all the guests are around powerlifting and all our chats are around powerlifting. Yeah. Awesome. So
0: a few things I like to do at the end of my podcast is yes. ask you some specific and quick fire questions. Go. What's your greatest achievement in life?
1: Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's supposed to be quick fire, but anyway. <laughs> <Yeah. that's, laughs> uh, l- let's just say
0: my business. Your business? Yeah. Okay. Who's the person or the people who's had the biggest influence on your life? Uh,
1: Jesus Christ. I don't know. Not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Boomtish. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Probably my mum. Your mum? Yeah. Favourite food? Uh, Lebanese. What sort of Lebanese food do you like? So my favourite Lebanese dish is a dish called kibbeh, which is raw lamb. Raw lamb. Yeah. And how's that served? Like with spices. It's it's like a paste. It's mixed with um, cracked wheat. Um, think of it like beef. Uh, you know, beef tartar with the yeah. with the eggs. Kind of like that. Kind of like about lamb. Yeah.
0: Or more like a pate. Oh, okay. Yeah. I understand. Favorite song.
1: Favorite song. Um, it would be. Uh, uh, Beethoven, Moonlight Sonata. Favourite place in the
0: world? Lebanon. What's next?
1: What's next? Third gym. And can you tell us where that's going? No. <laughs> Not until it's 100%. Fair
0: call. So third gym, then what are we doing after that? Taking over the online world, which
1: you've already got. mm yeah, I, I, I don't know. Play it as it comes. I'm not a planner. Maybe that's a bad thing from an entrepreneurial or business perspective, but... If it works uh, for you, it works for you. Yeah, it's worked so far. How do people contact you? Uh, Instagram, Tombro7. or my business is zero underscore weakness. Tombro7, T-O-M-B-R-O-7?
0: Yes. Awesome, mate. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate the chat today. As far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. Thanks for having me. You're no awesome worries. too. Cheers, buddy. <laughs> What an amazing human. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you enjoy the rest of the Podfire podcasts, and I really hope that you enjoyed Awesome Humans. Reach out to us on Podfire and all the social media channels, as well as BJ Macker, uh, to reach out to me personally. Have a great day.